Amen. Could I have your music stand, that one right there? Would that be okay? Well, good morning. I'm Molly. Uh, Pastor Jared is in Wright, Wyoming this morning. I'm going to give you this, um, this pick, too, because I will knock it off. Uh, Pastor Jared's in Wright, Wyoming. He is with Jim Hawkins, who planted the Foursquare Church in Wright, Wyoming, um, celebrating Jim's resignation. He's finished there, and that church is getting a new pastor, and so Jared is down there with them. So I have the privilege of being with you. I serve as an associate supervisor for Foursquare, uh, which is very similar to being a high school vice principal. There's just less vomit, usually. Um, I, I am a Montanan myself, sort of. We live in Bozeman, so this is where you get to snicker if you want. <laughs> I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, make Bozeman, Montana, again. But, the, you know, the Californians in Bozeman, they need Jesus too. So, so, so right, amen, right, amen. Um, well, I, I love getting to serve with Foursquare. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with Foursquare, this is a Foursquare church. The Foursquare movement around the world is this organization of churches and camps, schools, disaster relief teams, orphanages, and missionaries all working together to see lives transformed by the love of Jesus. There are some incredible things happening around the world through Foursquare. We have people moving to the Middle East, starting businesses and leading Muslims to Christ. We have massive house church movements in communist countries. We have a businessman in Guatemala providing shoes for refugees. We have hundreds of displaced Ukrainian orphans being cared for by Foursquare pastors and thousands of hurting people being fed through Foursquare churches. I want you to know that what God is doing right here in Billings, Montana, through Hope Center, is a part of that. So thank you. Thank you for loving your neighbors. Thank you for being a light in your schools and in your workplaces. Thank you for caring for the hurting and the lonely and being the hands and feet of Jesus in Billings. And thank you that when you gather on a Sunday morning, and you encourage each other, and you build each other up, and you raise your voices in unison, and you open God's word, you are pushing back darkness and advancing the kingdom of God. So thank you. Thank you for gathering. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, we are going to talk about what it means to be the family of God. Specifically, what is our culture? Now, culture is this umbrella word that describes the behavior, the customs, the values, the social norms of a group of people. It's how we act and we treat one another and how we represent our collective community to the world outside ourselves. Now, every family has an internal culture, right? It's the things that we do, the things that we like, the things that we don't like. It's all the unspoken ways that families function together. Now, we oftentimes don't even notice an internal culture and a family, right? Because we're just so used to it. But we notice it when we try and join a new family. Did anybody have this experience when you got engaged and you started spending time with your spouse's family? 
Now, my family's culture is we're kind of like a live and let live people. Like, we'll hang out together, and my brother will tell me what's going on in his life, and I'll be like, that's so great. And then I'll go home, and I'll think, that is the worst decision I have ever heard. Now, my husband's culture, they're like these, you know, fiery people, and they have no problems telling you exactly what they think and giving you unsolicited advice. So you go to a family dinner, and they're like, well, that's a terrible idea. This is what you really should do. And I make it about 15 minutes before I'm like, I want I wonder what the kids are doing. They're like, I'm out of here. So every family has this internal culture, and then every family has an external culture, right? It's how we represent who we are to the world outside ourselves and how the world outside ourselves perceives us. So I want to ask you a question. In one word, how would you describe the culture of the family of God? Love. Love. Faith. Forgiving, hope, scripture, structure, structure, what else? Prayer, yeah. What else? Joy, amen. Let's have some joy in this place. What else? Right hand man, come on. Jesus. What else? What about this side of the room? How would you describe the culture of the family of God? What was it? Compassionate. Let us please be compassionate people. Welcoming. Amen. We want to be. We should be a family that's welcoming. Continue. Oh, girl. Continuing to learn, right? We have never arrived. None of us have ever fully arrived, but we should always be learning. Right. Anything else? Humble. Humble. Well, this is a topic that you can sort of make a case that we spend a lot of time talking about in church, right? We might not use this language, but this idea of like, how are we being transformed by Jesus as a group, right? How are we bumping off off of one another? How are we ironing shepherd's iron? And so we're going to look at a passage today that I don't necessarily think gives us like a holistic idea of the culture of the family of God, but but speaks to it and I think has, has significant relevance for us today. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Now here's the thing with Ephesus. Paul knows Ephesus. He spent three years there. Like these are his homies. Okay, so when he writes this letter, he knows who he's talking to. Now a lot of theologians actually think that the book of Ephesus is sort of Paul's like cumulative work on who the church is and who the church should be, right? So if you're wondering like how the church should act, what the church's culture should be, read the book of Ephesus, okay? Now we're just going to read one passage today. But in this passage, in, in Ephesians 2, what Paul does is he tells the church in Ephesus how to be the family of God. And he does this because they're having some integration issues, meaning they've got kind of two main groups of people. One is the Jews, And then the other is the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, of course, is everybody who's not a Jew, right? It's our term that describes everybody else. And these two groups of people are, like, having trouble integrating together. And so what Paul does is he's like, man, if they can't quite figure this out, it's going to impact their culture, both inside their church and how their church is perceived in the rest of Ephesus. And these are the people they're trying to tell about Jesus, 
So they need to get this culture thing right. Okay, so we're going to read Ephesians 2. Here's where you get to guess how old I am. I can't read my Bible without my cheater glasses. Okay. So this is, I should open this before I got up here. Okay, here we go. This is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. And it starts with, therefore. Now, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is it? Therefore. So Paul just finishes with this, like, discourse, this amazing discourse on what we have in Jesus. And it, like, gives you all the feels. It's, like, warm. And you, like, you come away and you're, like, yes. Because it ends with this. He ends with saying, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's like you're reading this letter and you're like, ah. And then he says, therefore, because of all that, because you have all that in Jesus, therefore, remember that formally, Remember that form, there we go. Remember that formally, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now, if you have any questions about circumcision, ask Pastor Jared. (laughs) Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations I want you to see something. So he's using all this temple imagery, right? Those who are far and those who are near. And I want, I want to show you what he's talking about. So I have a picture of Herod's temple. So when he's talking about, the, the, he's talking about this imagery of near and far, this is what he's talking about. So if you can read this, where is the court of the Gentiles? It's on the outside. The Gentiles weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed to be near to that space that was considered the presence of God. And in fact, you see the court of the Gentiles on the outside, and then you actually see what's this court right here? The court of women. The women weren't allowed to be on the inside, right? So over here on the left, this is the inner courts where the Jewish men were allowed. So this is what Paul's talking about. Is he saying, Jesus' death on the cross did more than our personal reconciliation to God. It reconciled all of this. It tore down all of these walls. There's no more outer courts. But everybody, everybody gets to come near to Jesus. Let's read on. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Where else do we see this imagery of two becoming one? 
marriage, right? So he also uses this temple imagery, uses this marriage imagery to say, we're going to take these two groups and we're going to make them this one new thing. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He's saying everybody, everybody can come close to Jesus. And then in verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he comes back to this temple imagery, and, and what he's saying is he's not saying, we're just going to like redecorate the temple. We're going to take down some curtains. We're going to paint some walls. What he's saying is, no, we're going to build something new. In Jesus, we're building a new thing with Jesus as the cornerstone. So if you're a builder, you know that the cornerstone is the first one you lay, and it directs and guides everything else. And I love his imagery because he's not just saying the Jews and the Gentiles are going to stand next to each other. He's saying we're going to build together. We're going to build together. So here's a couple observations about the culture of the family of God that I think that we can draw from this passage. The first is the culture of God. The culture of the family of God includes making peace. Whenever you see repetition in his language, Paul is using it as a mnemonic device because, remember, this letter most people couldn't read. So he would send this letter, and whoever was in charge of the church would gather everybody around, and he would read it to them. So repeated words stick in your ears, right? Right? He says, peace. Those who are far, peace. Those who are near, peace. Everybody together, peace. Right? So now peace, of course, in our English or Western culture is kind of this idea of like the absence of noise or immediate conflict. Um, now, if you are a mom of school-aged children like me, it's summer break, right? Praise the Lord. And, I, you know, I always go into summer like so excited. Like we've got a plan. We've got all these things we're going to do. Like it's going to be amazing. We're all going to bond. And then by like week two, I'm like, when does school start again? Because I just need some peace and quiet, right? It's this idea of, like, absence of conflict. But when you actually look at Paul's original language, this idea of biblical peace is so much more, so much more. It's actually based in the root word shalom, which is this dynamic meaning of actually making something whole, Making something whole, not just the absence of conflict, but taking something and fixing it and bringing it to, into its fullness. It also has this connotation of living well. So when Paul says peace as, as, a, as a clear component of the culture of the family of God, it's that the family of God is a place where things can be made whole. Individuals, families, communities. The second thing I think we see in this passage is that the culture of the family of God includes elevating the community. This idea, there's community language all over the Bible, right? 
like people of God, army of God, temple of God, body of Christ, new Israel, living stones. According to Paul, our salvation story is not one of an individual experiencing death, an individual experiencing salvation, an individual being transformed, an individual glorifying God. But according to Paul, our salvation story is lost, broken, disconnected people, redeemed through the work of Christ and brought into family, reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. See, I think the hyper-focus of the individual experience in Christ is a Western lens through which we see who Jesus is. It's who we, how we view scripture, and, but prioritizing the individual over the community isn't biblical. Now, it doesn't dismiss the individual experience. But what the Bible says is the individual experience is supposed to be grounded in this. The Bible actually says it's impossible to experience the fullness of what, what Christ has for us, both transformationally, transformationally and in relationship, without the blessing and the iron sharpens iron complication of doing it in community. So the third thing that I think we see in this passage is that the culture of the family and God includes pursuing unity in our diversity. Unity and our diversity. Now, when you talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, we're not talking about people who came from rival high schools. Does Billings have a high school rivalry? Yeah. We just got our second high school in Bozeman, and it took about eight seconds for us to form a rivalry. <laughs> right? I mean, these are kids that, like, grew up together. They were in school together all the way through. And as soon as we had two high schools, it was suddenly, like, Raptors versus Hawks. But when you talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, these are people who had centuries of conflict. Okay? So on one side, when you talk about the Jews who, who have accepted Christ, you've got people whose story is rooted in slavery in Egypt. God freeing them, God bringing them into the desert, Moses giving them the Ten Commandments, like all of their rituals surrounding that and then waiting for God to send the new Messiah and then believing that it's Jesus and then this like amazing culmination of centuries of things that God is doing to reconcile people to God. And then you've got Gentiles on the other side. They're like, I don't know anything about that, but I want to know Jesus, so here I am. Like, you can imagine why these groups might have conflict. They see each other, and the lens through which they're coming to Christ is so different. So before I, was, before I planted a church, we planted a church in Bozeman. That's how we, we ended up there. But before we did that, um, one of the things that I did was I was a middle school pastor. So I worked with junior high kids, which is a very, like, unique and specific calling. <laughs> to work with junior high students. And we, we were in North Everett in Washington, and, and it was a neighborhood. Everett, come on. Yeah, you know Everett, right? It was a community with a lot of kids left alone after school. A lot of kids whose, whose parents worked multiple jobs just to keep food on the table. A lot of kids who um, were running around town getting in trouble. And so we worked really hard as a church to create a space where these kids were welcome. So we started this junior high program 
on Wednesday nights. And I mean, I had food, I had all this stuff, and it just got rowdy. It just got rowdy. Like we eventually had to hire an off-duty police officer to keep the peace. Because <laughs> we had these like two sixth grade girls that kept getting in fist fights. Right? Like it was just it was just wild, right? And so one day this family who had been in the church for a very long time, they called our pastor and complained that a kid had been riding their skateboard through the church. And I so appreciated our pastor because his response was, isn't it great that that kid's in church? (laughs) You know, when we think about this group that Paul's addressing, he's not asking the Jews to lay down all of their Jewishness. And he's not asking the Gentiles to lay down all of their Gentileness. What he's saying is, is when we take this diverse group of people, it actually forms something new. Where we bring all of our uniqueness and our strangeness together and make this amazing new thing. You know, that when you think about the 11-year-old skateboarder, you know, the goal isn't to just make room for them. But they're meant to, like, contribute and influence the family of God in some way, right? They're, they're that important. Something I, I, I loved about what happened was not long after that, some dads got together and they built a skate ramp in the youth room for the 11-year-old skateboarder and his buddies. I, I, uh, we've recently had to start showing our kids like old sitcoms and comedies because we realized part of our family culture is like using phrases <laughs> from old movies. So we had to show our kids Nacho Libre so they would know like, are these the Lord's chips? <laughs> you know? And so one of the old shows that we used to watch is a show called Community. And it's a show about this community college and you've got you know, the middle-aged single mom who's trying to like, improve herself and, and you've got the disbarred lawyer and then you've got the recent high school graduate. And so it's this like, amalgamation of these unique people like going to this community college. Well, the show starts with them trying to um, come up with a new school mascot. And their goal with this new school mascot is to include everybody and offend nobody. So they come up with what they call, I have a picture, um, of the human being. And it's like the most horrifically bizarre. (laughs) Because their their goal was, was to be inclusive and in no way offensive and what it did was it just turned everybody gray right you lost all uniqueness all specialness right when we when you try and make everybody the same thing right when what we're really supposed to do is embrace the diversity and seek unity amidst it experiencing unity in our diversity requires a desire for mutual understanding and a belief that we're all human. We must seek to understand before we're understood. We're all a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. Our 10-year-old likes to say, there's something weird about everybody. She always like, there's something weird about everybody. Now, she is a smart, funny, fun, beautiful young lady. She also has a severe peanut allergy and a crooked ear from birth trauma. So she's a kid who knows what it's like to feel like there's something weird about her. But guess what? We're all weird. 
We're all a work in progress. Some of the things about us are things that are completely out of our control, right? Like peanut allergies and crooked ears, right? And some of, some of the things about us are, are brokenness, right, or baggage that, that hopefully we're bringing to Jesus every day and asking him to speak into and change and renew. But we're all weird. We're all a work in progress. We've all got stuff going on. Right? And part of the culture of the family of God is, is seeking to be unified in all that diversity. And the family of God is a place where we can come and work that stuff out. So I, I started this role that I'm in now um, full-time in, in December. Um, and it's, a, it's just kind of a, a unique position where I'm serving and supporting pastors and churches. But in January, I made a mistake. And it was, a, it, it was a fairly significant mistake. And now in, in, in what I do, it's like, it's not like anybody died, right? <laughs> right? Like I'm not in construction. If I make a mistake, nobody loses a limb, right? But it, it was enough of a mistake that it, it, I had to like work it out. And I, and I had a pastor like chew me out about it. And I had my very my very first real experience with anxiety. And, like, my heart was racing. I was sweating. Um, that real heaviness on my chest. Um, I was at a meeting in Los Angeles, um, and I actually had to, like, finally go home to be able to de-escalate enough to be able to sleep. So I was awake for about two and a half days. And I get home, and, and my husband is like, what do we do? <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know, but I know that I need more tools if I'm going to be able to make it in this job. Like, i got to figure out what to do. So I, I signed up for an um, emotionally healthy leadership cohort. Um, it was at 5 o'clock in the morning on Tuesdays, which that's like a real commitment. Um, but it was essentially like group therapy for leaders. So I did that for about three months, and, and coming out of that, I realized that 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 experience that I had in January was only a symptom of some, a whole lot of other stuff going on. There was a lot of other things that were contributing to that anxiety that really didn't have anything to do with that singular event in January. And so I ended up starting to work with an with a individual counselor around that topic, and then that led to some art therapy, and now she has recommended some integration therapy. So I'm literally doing all the therapies. Every therapy you can imagine <laughs> is what I'm doing right now. But I tell you that because I am a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that the family of God is a place where I can be a work in progress. Because experiencing unity in our diversity requires a desire for mutual understanding and a belief that we're all human. The last thing that I see in this passage about the culture of the family of God is that we're all believing that we are building something new. That every unique person that walks in the door influences who we are, contributes to this amazing thing, this, this, this new block that goes into the new temple that God is building in this space it's one of the things that I love about churches like this that see themselves as agents of change in their community. Churches that are asking themselves, 
How is God calling us to be the unique expression of the kingdom of God in Billings? So according to Paul in in Ephesians, the culture of the family of God includes a community where people and relationships and families can be made whole. A value that isn't just about individual desires, but the community. A pursuit of being unified in all of our glorious diversity and a belief that together we're building something new. I want to finish with this. At the beginning, I told you that every family has an internal culture and an external culture, right? What we're building and experiencing here, we're meant to take out there. You know, I, there are so many things that I love about our country, so many things that I love about it. So I, I love being an American. Just the fact that we are here right now, on a Sunday morning, and we, we can put a sign out on the corner that publicly proclaims what it is we're doing in here, right? The fact that we're like, we're going to sing about God, and we're going to read a Bible, <laughs> and we're going to put a, a sign on the corner telling everybody that, right? I mean, these are some of the incredible privileges that we have as Americans. But there are also some deeply concerning things about our culture. And, and one of those things is that I think that we are becoming increasingly comfortable with dehumanizing people. We are becoming increasingly comfortable with reducing people to a gender or a pronoun or an immigration status or a political party or a social media profile. But here's the thing, we know better than that. Right? As followers of Christ, we know how valuable every single life is. We know that every single person is cherished and created by God. We know that the brokenness of sin can impact every area of somebody's life. And we know the power of Christ to redeem and restore and make us whole. And as we experience the culture of the family of God in this place, peace that makes things whole, community that's accepting and warm and celebrates our diversity, when we take our, ex- our internal culture and we make it our external culture, we become a family that people want to be a part of. I think one of the greatest examples the church in America today can offer is to treat people as deeply and profoundly human. People experiencing the culture of the family of God through a Christ follower makes it easier to become a Christ follower. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the family of God. Thank you for your words in your scripture that help give us guiding principles for how we're meant to engage with each other. God, we ask that, that as this community, we're able to take those same values into our workplaces 
and our sports teams and our schools and our neighborhoods. God, we believe that people can experience the family of God through us. And if people are experiencing who you are and who we are through us, it makes it easier to want to follow you, Lord. We pray that whatever you have for us as we opened your word would seep into our bones and change us in some way, Lord, and would ultimately expand your kingdom and glorify you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen.